0: Property Funder Podcast. Hello, everyone. And today I'm joined by Georgia Ashley, uh, my producer. She's the producer of the Property Funder Podcast. And we are going to do a first for the podcast. We're going to do an Ask Me Anything segment. Um, Some of you crazy people actually want to know some things about me or hear my opinion on things. And um, so um, because I like to give people what they want um, and, you know, we don't judge people's life choices. Uh, here we are and we're going to have uh, we're going to have an AMA segment um, Georgia if you don't know uh, Georgia is the marketing manager at April Capital which is the company that I co-founded with Zaher, and she's been doing a fantastic job of, uh, of of producing the show up to this point point. and uh, today she's in the hot seat asking the questions so uh, we're looking forward to it but uh, yeah but be gentle on me Georgia is, is all I can say um, what's What's the first question that we've got today Georgia?
1: Okay so the first one we've got is what is one motto or philosophy that you live your life by?
0: Yeah I like a lot of kind of self-help books and I guess gurus for want of a better expression but the one that stuck with me for the past eight or nine years is one that was put forward by Zig Ziglar which is you can have everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want and and i guess all that boils down to is adding value to other people's lives Um, and if you add value to other people's lives whether that is in a social context or whether that is in a professional context then um, you will generally have a a better life as a consequence of that so yeah that's that's kind of where where i come from on that um yeah, what do you, what do you think? What do you what are your thoughts on that, Georgia? You have any any mottos of your own that you that you like to live by?
1: Oh gosh, mottos of my own? Not really. It kind of is similar to what you just said, in that almost like put your um someone else's air mask on before you put yours on. Um, I tend to sort of think of as well. I never agreed with the actual airlines where you put yourself on before other people, but I understand that helping other people it's kind of like a karma type situation isn't it in that if anything that you put into the universe will come back to you anyway. so I agree with that I think that's a good one
0: um okay, what, okay. What, what's next
1: next up we've got what motivates you
0: Well uh, this is a really this is a really difficult one actually um I have I, I've, I think in the most simple terms it's I just want to grow and progress um you know, I, I just want to do every every day something a little bit better. Um, and it, I really want that to have some sort of learning components to it. So I know a lot of people are are very financially driven. I'm 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 driven financially, but up to a point. Where I think actually in a in lot of ways I've achieved financially everything I would have wanted to achieve as a child. Um, and now it's really about. It, it's now about achievement and. And, you know, trying to do positive, constructive things for the world. Um, I've started, you know, I started to learn things like coding and and tech, and looking at how can I apply tech. Not only, uh, and I'm doing that also in conjunction with a Hair co-founder. Not only in in terms of how we can make Avene more better, but I'm now looking at that and thinking what what other other ways can I apply technology um, for, for for good. Um, so yeah it's it's so really and i've gone about it this answer slightly long-winded but it's it's achievement personal development and trying to do things for the benefit of of mankind as well which probably sounds wankier and more disingenuous than it actually is but hey-ho um
1: okay that's a good one um i'm interested about the coding though how long have you been coding for
0: i have been doing uh, I've been doing a course on a, a platform called Replit uh, called 100 Days of Code and I'm now about 84 days in out of the 100 and um, so must have started it sometime around I'm gonna say it was sometime around April, March, April time that I started oh. doing it and uh, I think it's been a, one of the big benefits of large language models like ChatGPT is that it's a bit of a cheat code for, um, when it comes to coding and um, so mm-hmm. things that would I, I've, I've learned a lot of the theory and, the, and I've, I've learned how to sort of manually code things but actually when you've got so, so I understand the theory but when you've got something like ChatGPT that in you know in two seconds can write out lines of code that might take you half an hour to write yourself um, it definitely makes learning how to code so much easier, so much better. Um, but I've uh, I've really enjoyed that. I, I think that it's one of those things that a lot of people don't stick with. Something like you know, yeah. 50,000 people might be doing the first few you know, modules of the of, of this program. Um, right now, less than a thousand people will be on will have got to the will be on the module that I'm doing um so there's it's quite a big drop off because it, you know it's it, like a lot of things you just need to be committed and and see these things through um mm. and, and I'm just one of those people that once I start something I hate not finishing it so I'll just keep I, I will keep plodding and, and I'll get there in the end
1: good for you so, wow I mean I can imagine like the level of detail that comes with it is have you built anything from it yet
0: or do you kind of uh, is it I, just theory I built yesterday. I've, I've built I've now built some websites um they're not very good not very good ones but um I've I built a. Yes, they learned how to build a login page uh, on a website. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's, that's kind of cool.
1: really admirable. That's really good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I, I, I guess it kind of. So next time, next time you get an email asking if, um, if someone wants to redesign the Able website, you say no. Well, actually, one of our one of our owners um can do that. So yeah, i either give it to me a really, really cheap price or we'll just do it ourselves.
1: So yeah, you, can some,
0: you can have some fun with that. Um well, yeah, no. yeah, you might not want to wait for me, but that's a different story. They don't know that. Well maybe no. they do. But if they're listening to the podcast, maybe they do. Um, I'll fall down
1: to them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um next up then is who or what inspires you?
0: Um that is a really difficult question. Um, i i find I find um, stories about business, um successful business stories going back through the ages as um, as very inspirational. Um, i and it, it's not because I don't find someone like Nelson Mandela or Gandhi or you know, fill in the blank Churchill inspirational they're obviously incredibly inspirational historical figures but on a level that i can relate to as someone who loves business and likes being in business and i look at i I, am more interested in um in stories of successful uh, business people and how they got through so earlier this year i read a book called the obstacle is the way by brian holiday and one of the reasons why it's such an easy read for me and i get through it so fast is because in each of the in each of the chapters Ryan talks about lots of different examples of um, of business people and how they had an ob- you know they effectively had an obstacle they overcame the obstacle and then they and then they were successful so um, you know I, and, and I look at so I, I look at people like you know and I know he's a divisive figure but someone like Elon Musk is an incredibly inspiring individual because you think about all the different fields that he's navigated in business and in a, in a modern day context, someone like Warren Buffett as well as as an investor. Um, and, and I also then look at people within the property industry, people like Gerald Ronson um, you know, who, who's, you know, who, who's also had some challenges in his life. And um, Nick, Nick Leslaw, um, He's someone that being involved in the Props Committee, uh, Props Lunch Committee, Um, Nick is someone that we've honoured on multiple occasions, and he's a really impressive individual, but also a very generous individual as well. Um, And so I look at these people and who and and their accomplishments and what they've achieved to get there. And so it's very much in a business context. I look, I love sport as well. I find sports people very inspirational um, too. And, you know, the the list is the list is long, but I guess probably... Great example would be Michael Jordan, um, looking at what he achieved, how he rose through the ranks and uh, rose through the ranks in through college basketball into the NBA and just became this megastar and how he but also how he's an incredibly successful business person. Um, And so and I watched a movie about his shoe deal uh, with Nike called Air. And I also find the story. So Phil Knight, who's the founder of Nike, I, I read Shoe Dog, I don't know, probably six or seven months ago most unbelievable story um and actually I but I you know as inspirational as I find someone like Michael Jordan I look at Phil Knight's story and that that to me is you know Michael Jordan was born with an innate talent and for sure he had to work really hard to get to his position but Phil Knight in many ways what he's achieved is is even more incredible because of the you know because he didn't he wasn't blessed with a natural talent you know he had to fight and scrap and and find his way to the top um and you know and then <laughs> he it, if people probably don't realize this now because of the huge behemoth that mike that nike was but nike was never less than a month from bankruptcy right up into the sort of late mid to late eight, uh, mid to late 70s um which is which is remarkable even though it, it as a company it was growing super fast it had amazing sales but it had this huge issue with with cash flow and working capital to be able to sustain the growth that they had um and so that for me was really fascinating it was really instructive actually and um yeah I, if you ever wanted a an inspiration to get into business or to be involved in business then you know read that book because that that will set you off for sure you'll you'll have a you have a real eye of a tiger um after after reading that book for sure
1: oh brilliant I'll have a look at that that sounds good I'd um actually just put air on my watch list to be fair and I was going to mention that they'd made a movie about it also it's good that you've only yeah. seen it
0: yeah <laughs> it's it, it's it's a it's a great movie it's amazing how they 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 managed to get you know I guess what an hour and a half movie out of that but it yeah it's 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 really good
1: yeah oh, brilliant um kind of similar question but who was your role model growing up um whose posters did you have on the wall
0: yeah I know I, that's, that's an interesting one I I would say I you know, we're going back in time now but I I'd say in my early years um I, I was like Gary Lineker which is slightly odd as a Arsenal fan Someone who's more associated with the Tottenham, uh, Gary Lineker probably around the time of the Italian 19 uh, World Cup, um, and then I suppose we were talking about Michael Jordan, so Michael Jordan would have been there. I I I was like I was into golf for a little while, so I am like Nick Faldo. In cricket, um, I uh, big uh, was a big cricket fan, and it was it uh, was probably my number one sport when I was a, a teenager. I was quite reasonably talented, but Mixture of talent and hard work, I, I guess. Um, so Mike Gatting, who was the captain of Middlesex, he was briefly captain of England as well. Um, he he was a big inspiration to me. Big being the operative word because uh, he's he, if if you know anything about Mike Gatting, he has a particular uh, nickname which is which I think he lovingly uh, embraces, but uh, probably be offensive to some people. Um. So, but I met him once, and so that was that was definitely a highlight. Um, and but I suppose also my my stepdad was a big role model for me. Um, he he came into my life when I was about a year and a half old, and he didn't have kids of his own, and he embraced me and my mother. And he was I, I was probably closer to him than I was to my mum actually growing up because she was building her own business. So as a consequence of that, yeah, he was a he was a huge figure in my life, um, and I, I guess there were some teachers as well. So there was a a, a teacher at uh, a teacher at my junior school called Mr. Donnellan and he was a really big promoter of me, and um, he, he was he was a big promoter of me academically, and he helped. and, and it's no surprise that my number one subject academically was the, the subject he taught. And then on the sports field, he was the athletics coach, and it's no surprise that I was uh you know probably my most successful sport at junior school was was athletics and then at senior school I had a a chemistry teacher I ended up doing chemistry uh, for my first degree uh called Dr Lazel and he wasn't a particularly old guy but he he passed away sadly um, sort of in his in his 50s but he was a big inspiration for me and it was after going into his chemistry lessons that I actually started to realize that chemistry was probably my favourite subject or became my favourite subject and then I also had a sports coach called Gareth Thomas and again Gareth was Gareth saw something in me that maybe other some of the other sports coaches didn't see and so I ended up playing a good standard of rugby under him and he was the, the first 11 cricket coach and so he was my coach for three years um, at, at senior level and the first 11, school first 11. Um, and it's because you know he 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 believed in me and um you know he was a big supporter of mine and he also knew how to get the best out of me he was kind of very firm but fair and um, mm. which i guess is a, an approach that he uh, w- that i respond well to and i have certainly as a manager i've tried to adapt adapt some of the things that i've learned from people like him um and, and i suppose also someone like martin Donovan as well in in that regard So
1: with that, because obviously, I mean, you've just spoken about how a lot of our models sort of had a sports focus Mm. with your eyes sort of for business. Why didn't you um, sort of pursue, were you not interested in pursuing a sort of career in the business side of sports as you were growing up? Or was it, I mean, we'll go into, there are some questions obviously going, coming up
0: from people around business. I I, I think I would have, I think I would have loved it. You know, I I actually have a a school colleague who is a very successful sports agent um, I think that would have that could have been a good career path for me, uh, no question. But I don't think that's where my head was at at the time. Mm. I, I guess the I didn't mention my mum as a as a role model, but actually as a I, I didn't see see her so much as a role model growing up but when I was growing up because I wasn't very I probably wasn't as business focused at the time, even though I was I was a bit of a hustler at school. And um, you know, occasionally, so we I was at a boarding school, and um, you know, you could only get like kind of sweet treats and crisps and things like that, and cans of coke at certain times a day. And uh, and when you know when the shop, the the school sort of tuck shop was shut, there weren't there were you know if you missed your window, there wasn't a there wasn't a lot you could do. And and so my mum would my mum and dad would bring up um stuff you know stuff for me for me. You know every every few weeks that would come and visit me it was, it was a full school and so quite a lot of the time because it didn't come from a family of money you know, it was a real struggle for my parents to to send me to school um i'd often sell my kind of the tuck that they brought for me um out of my locker and but then i had a bit of a side hustle where i would sell cans of fizzy pop for i don't know like 40p and I'd buy them from the from, and I'd buy them in bulk from that school tuck shop for thirty p so I was making a little bit of margin on that on the side and as that's I got old <laughs> yeah and as I got yeah, that's where I began and as I got older uh i then so the foreign students would bring cartons of cigarettes and I'd buy the cartons of cigarettes in bulk from them and then sell them kind of so as like a sort of wholesale price and then I'd sell them retail to uh you know to to the to the other guys and girls who wanted to go and smoke behind the bike shed uh, and make a little a little markup that would pay for the odd you know the odd treat here and there The odd as i suppose as we were getting older the odd night out the at the local pub that we were allowed out to on a on a saturday night Um, but but how it links into my mum is that actually my mum was on was very entrepreneurial um you know she was a single parent immigrant to this country and you know she she managed to make an incredible life for herself uh, albeit, you know, acknowledging the, the the sort of bedrock of security that my stepdad provided. And um, so, yeah, now I see her very much as a, a sort of business inspiration. But growing up, I wouldn't say that she was kind of the role model. Um, she's more of a she's someone that in my, you know, I've taken my experiences of her as a kid and applied them to uh, impl- applied them to my life as an adult.
1: Mm. Oh, that's great um leading down that road then we've got some more sort of business focused questions the first one of which we've got where did inspiration for the name Avermore
0: come from yeah so I'm gonna give Dan Greenhouse a shout out because I know that this is one of his questions uh Dan uh Dan's from podium recruitment obviously a, a, a close partner of Avermore's so the name Avermore comes from by the way you can pronounce it Avermore as well and in fact Avermore would be probably the correct phonetic um way of saying it because the the root or the etymology if you want to be really technical is that the Ava comes from Avalon which is my father-in-law's house and More is a house that Zahair's brother spent a lot of time in and it's from Morton's so Ava More is essentially the blending of Avalon and Morton's so Ava mm-hmm. More there you go
1: even I didn't yeah. know that I didn't even know it was Avermore and yeah. I've been here a year and a half now and I've always well, called it Avermore
0: <laughs> well you t- you, t- you tell me can you ever imagine Zaher saying Avermore he's, he's you know he's so plummy with the way he speaks uh, <laughs> it's, it's always going to be Avermore so uh, it's Avermore <laughs> but if anyone says Avermore I'll never correct them because it's actually not the wrong way it's not a wrong way of saying it you can say it either way
1: oh well I'll know to pass that on to people now for sure I'll send an email around um Okay what was the biggest challenge you faced starting your own company
0: Um the biggest challenge you faced starting your own company is is having something that is that is viable in terms of generating revenue um cash flow working capital it's it's just essential because if you're not making sales um you don't have revenue if you don't have revenue you can't you can't pay people. You can't pay staff. Um, and, you know, you can you can be a one man band, but one man bands generally don't tend to grow. I say one man band, obviously one woman band, or whatever you however you want to put it. But if you're on your own, it's much harder to grow than if you if you're in a part if you're in a partnership with someone because then you have you've got two people to two people or more people to to carry the load. Obviously, More was started by three people with uh, Amit joining us. Six months, since months after we we founded, or seven months after we founded. So I think the fact that we we started off with multiple people made that a lot easier. Um, I had a previous business that kind of morphed into Avemore, and the challenge we had there was it was a kind of real estate consultancy. It was just basically like a hustling business, and the problem there was that we just didn't, we weren't we weren't able to make any sales. We really we weren't able to do business. We weren't able to earn fees, commissions, whatever you want to call it. And because of that, I, I mean, I was fortunate that I had a, a sideline business that was able to fund, provide some sort of funding and, you know, and that and did actually enable a little bit of the, the kickstart with Avermore. But it, it wasn't so difficult with Avermore because Avermore from the get go was earning money. The the with Avermore was founded on the twelfth of October um twenty fifteen. By the thirtieth of October, Avermore had ten grand in its bank account from a from a transaction that he carried out uh, essentially an arrangement fee for a loan and then you know and essentially every month pretty much about Abramor's existence we've had more cash coming through the door or coming through the door than than going out I mean that's not exclusively true there would have been fallow periods like during the pandemic and stuff like that and, um, you know, and certainly earlier this year, <laughs> I would be surprised if that wasn't the case as well, you know, where, where things were post-Liz Trust, um, you know, <laughs> a kind quasi budget, um, you know, but for the, you know, for the vast majority of the time of the business and, you know, pretty much right to the today. Um, one of the easiest things about Avonmore is that it's it, it makes money, it generates cash flow. If you don't have working capital, you don't have cash flow. You don't have anything. Now, you could then say, right, Well, once you've got the cash flow, the biggest challenge really is, is then people. But you need to have the problem of people. In order to have that problem, you first have to have working capital. You have to be able to be making sales. You have to have a business that has a degree of viability around it. And I think where, where you know, and, and actually it's where I struggle in, in terms of mindset is that when I get sent an opportunity, say, for a, a venture capital business or you know a software company or you know fill in the blank um in fact we we look we we've invested in in a renewable energy technology company as a family and they asked us if we want to go in for another round of investment and and I was a bit like look when are you going to be generating money when are you going to be making generating like a capital and they're like well it's kind of not meant to work like that what we're doing is we're um, we're creating the technology, and eventually we expect that someone will buy the business from us, so that they can vertically integrate the technology into their company. Now, I get that that's I get that that probably is something that can happen, but as a but as a business person, I think that 95 plus percent of businesses are reliant on they have a product, they sell it, they get cash. And with that cash, they pay people and then they invest in the business to grow that business, as opposed to I'll raise a load of money from investors, I'll mm. spend that money building a technology which I can't actually monetize particularly. And then I'll go and raise more money for investors so that I can invest more money in that technology and make the technology better. But at some point, and that's the point and, and at some point, you have to be able to make to monetize that, you have to be able to make money from that particular product. Um Otherwise it's just becomes a commodity that someone who can actually generate cash flow will have to go will go and buy. They'll mm. effectively buy the parts. So um yeah, working capital. That's the that number you know, being able to generate some sort of working capital or cash flow is the most important thing, um, or should I say the biggest challenge. Um because if you don't have it, if you don't have sales, you don't have money, then you'll never be able to grow anything.
1: Mm. from that then what has been the biggest learning experience in running your own business
0: yeah i mean i don't know if we've covered a lot of that in the in in just over the last question but i think the i think the biggest learnings it is it's such a far it's such a far-reaching question isn't it you know you can probably we could probably do a whole podcast segment or episode on on this particular question but um imagine you're probably
1: learning constantly
0: well that's the thing it's 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 you know you you could write a long list but actually if if I was going to boil it down to one thing it'd be be focused I find myself and I know there's a there'll be some questions around it later so I won't go into too much detail around it but before Avonmore, I was involved in about four businesses or five different businesses and what I was finding was that because I was spread really thin um i i wasn't really able to focus on anything in one particular area and so and, and ultimately to be successful in business you really need to be devoting yourself 100 percent of your time into a in in my opinion a very narrow field in a very narrow area and that that degree of devotion into a narrow narrow area will mean that you can spend more time developing growing um and building skills um, that make you that make you and your business stand out. Whereas if you try if you try to be all things to all people, what you tend to find is that um, so if you try to uh, essentially try to capture too broad of a market, especially at an early stage as an early stage business, you're never actually doing anything that well. And when you think about the degrees of com- competition for your money, for your attention, both at, both in the business to consumer space and also in the business to business space you'll never, you know, you're never really going to grab or capture people's attention. And so even within, you know, when we think about Avonmore you know, we we were hyper-focused and, you know, a lot of the times the hair would come into the office and go, I've had an idea and I I'd just roll my eyes because I, you know, like, I, I, I love the hair, super intelligent guy and he has lots of fantastic ideas, but a lot of them are not, a, a lot of them are, are a bit, you know, they're they're a bit yeah. Oh, they're, they're, there. <laughs> they're, they're, they're a bit out there and and so as a consequence uh, and so it would be a common fact a common theme in discussions where it'd be like oh, i've got this idea and i would be like look no we just need to focus let's focus on what we're good at and i think the key thing is that if you focus on what you're good at it it doesn't you know you think about you think about avon we set up a business uh <laughs> we set up a business have uh, set up a lending business having never worked in a lender really um we've worked in kind of adjacent sectors we you know we we had enough well i think we had enough intelligence to to do it but it's in, but it's a, a it's an existing market that's incredibly mature incredibly fragmented with lots of players and you have some very dominant players in that as well right so um you know that it's there's not it's not like you got first or second mover advantage you know there's already been about 100 movers ahead of us but how did we you know how did we set ourselves apart it's like well okay we, we just found that if you focus on being very good, a very small number of things, but like kind of when you say very good, like kind of bordering on world class, a uh, small number of things. What you'll find is that um, where in those in those areas, in, in, in those verticals, the market will come to you. If you know, if, take bridging, for example, if, if we said, right, we're going to try and be the best bridger out there. The, the competition there was too fierce. The cost of capital, our cost of capital at the beginning compared to our peers' cost of capital, the differential was too high, and and to make our you know and to make our mod, our, our financial model work, we, we couldn't be as generous with um, procuration fees to to introduce us. So it meant that you know we'd always be fighting on the back foot. So we therefore you know we therefore found that there was less competition. In the development finance market, there's particularly if we're working with early stage developers. So understand the, understand the risk. Uh, be prepared to do that extra bit of work, and then all of a sudden there's a and then and then we find our way from early stage developers into um you know the sort of what was finish and exit now part complete development. And again, you you start to find these niches where there's a bit of a moat around them, and so you you create that you create that moat, but that. That happens because you focus on specific areas and you don't um, and you don't try and be everything to all people. I'll give you an example of the the penny drop for me. It took me about two years to work it out. When because because of where our, our money came from in the beginning, we had a lot of flexibility. We kind of do what we wanted, um, you know, up to a point, of course. But the difficult uh, but the difficulty was was that I'd go into a broker's meet uh, broker's office and I'd say uh well i can do this i can do this i can do this and i can do this so so i was like so look basically just send me everything send me every deal that you've got because i reckon you know we can probably do that and the broker and and so i thought at the beginning i was like yeah look we're a swiss army knife we can do everything but i don't know if you ever tried to cut something with a swiss army knife it's not, yeah you know, it doesn't work <laughs> it's, it's, it's like uh you know it works yeah. it's, it's like it's not the best thing for it and so what we uh, so i think it the penny dropped for me after about two years in and I was like oh shit actually what we need to do is is we do need to pigeonhole ourselves I went from being like well I don't want them to pigeonhole us to to oh I get it now they need to pigeonhole us because a broke you know broke uh, brokers have in their mind they're like right I've got I've got x deal goes to x kind of lender y deal mm-hmm. goes to y kind of lender z deal goes to z kind of lender and so in and it, and I think it just goes back to being focused, Foc- focus, being focused, don't spread yourself too thin, and by focusing, you, you have a better chance of being successful, because the business marketplace is so competitive, and um, that, you know, if, if you aren't able to be kind of borderline, world-class, and really, st- and stand out for a very narrow set of things, you're going to get swallowed up by the rest of the market, because there's always going to be someone better than you.
1: Mm. Would that be then, because I'm looking at the next question already, and it says, what is one piece of advice that you would give to young entrepreneurs? But I'm assuming that would.
0: From what uh, you have, I would I've say just
1: heard, that's effectively it. I
0: think I, I think if you're already I think if you're already in a business, I would mm-hmm. say that's what you should do. Um, I. Uh, you know, and I, 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 I was I, I spend a lot of time talking to Jack Bristow and I know he's asked some questions later on Um And I've said to Jack that you know Jack has an insurance business and but he also does finance broking and I've said to him look you're better off focusing on the latent defects insurance in my opinion if I'm in his shoes because that's what you're truly world class at and that's something that very very few other businesses can do as well as you can the finance broking thing um yes you can yes you have access to a lot of developers you have got lead flow but ultimately those developers will already have brokers and you're you know you the only way you're going to get really get a look in with a lot of those developers is if their existing broker screws up if they don't screw up then you're not going to get an opportunity there so instead of sp- instead of spreading your attention across two different verticals just focus on the one vertical that you're really good at and and until you're until you've maxed out all the market that there is there it, it, if I'm him don't I would say to him and he knows i've said this don't don't put don't you know don't put your eggs in too many baskets but in terms of but in terms of like a young entrepreneur if they're before they've had a before they've had a business my personal opinion is get lots of experiences in lots of different industries but and try but uh, and and try to get a try to get lots of different exposures to lots of different scenarios so learn you know learn you know have exposure to sales have exposure to marketing have exposure to operations and learn learn some legal stuff learn some contract stuff um i mean ultimately number one thing number one priority as an entrepreneur is, is being able to sell um but you also need to be able to design products you need to be able to market the products you need to know what goes into the execution of the of, of the service or the product that you're creating so try to get a multi. A, a, get lots of ex- experiences and by having lots of experiences you know you not everyone needs to go and create the next facebook not everyone needs to create the next google um or snapchat or or whatever tech unicorn is you know the the thing of the day right i most most entrepreneurs are barely making a living right globally if you can create a business that can make a million, a million a year in sales or 10 million a year in sales or 100 million a year in sales right you would you put yourself immediately into like the most thin layer of uh thin thin layer um you know the the, the you know the percentile of a percentile frankly mm. in in that respect and so if you get if you ex- expose yourself to a lot of different experiences in business over you know let's call it a five to seven year window consequently you will spot gaps in the market and opportunities and those gaps in the market yes they might not necessarily be unicorn gaps but they are gaps that there is um that that can that could be a million to 10 million to 100 million in revenue a year business and that's uh, and that's not something to be sniffed at that's still something that's quite meaningful and will be fulfilling and and also that there is there's, there's funding to help those businesses grow and there's also investors that will uh that will exit you and you can have a liquidity event around those in the future so just get that breadth of experience and then when you find the opportunity then you can go for it
1: very interesting i'll take that on board <laughs> um how do you set your business apart from competitors slash others in the industry
0: um okay so th- i think the best example I think the best example to use is, is Avermore of the businesses that I'm involved in. Um, when, when, we set the, when we set up Avermore, we had to, you, you know, we were new, we were we were outsiders to the industry. Um and so actually we instead of sort of trying to hide from the fact that we were outsiders, I think we leaned into it and it's almost we almost sort of said, look, we think differently, we act differently. Um i think when we came into the the, the bridging market uh, development finance i think has always been had a, a, a greater la- a layer of professionalism about it but when we came into the bridging market it still had a slightly um it has still had a slightly seedy kind of tawdry reputation and something that say the association of short-term lenders done a very good job of uh, of cleaning up uh in terms of perceptions around it but i think We came into we came into an industry that was probably a little bit still old boys club, you know, sort of handshake deals. You know, there are plenty of stories abound about you know brand brand envelopes around certain lenders that no longer exist. Um, And I think we approached it with a with a real professionalism. We 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 didn't cut corners. You know, we didn't we didn't take chances on you know you know like you know some non regulated lending. Non, non-regulated lending business you know we, we didn't tr- you know we, we you know in the theme of the current ashes you know we, we we adopted not only the spirit of the with the letter of the law but also the spirit you know so we wouldn't take someone's main residence and lend to it lend against it via a limited company you know so we, we do everything kind of you know very much within this you know the spirit as well as the letter of the law um and, and that boiled down to, I think, our degree of professionalism that we wanted to instill, because that was part of our our, our set of values. And uh, look, there are there are there are people in the industry, brokers in the industry, that that really like that and really warm to that. And I think that rather than try, again, it, it goes down to this sort of focus thing: is that rather than trying to try to be every broker's best friend, that actually we looked at, you know, I guess a I think there's a, 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 a marketing specialist called Kevin Kelly, and he has a thing called 1,000 True Fans. So we tried to find our true fans in the broker industry and also in the broker, broker segment, also in the direct client segment. And rather than trying to follow the rest of the market, we said, look, we'll, we're, going to, we're, we're going to operate in a certain way with a certain set of values. And they're, they're the brokers that aligned with that, they they followed us and continue to follow us and as did the clients and I think that's how we set ourselves apart and I think to this day the reputation that we've created within Avermore is near the top of the industry in terms of professionalism focus on client outcomes cus- you know, customer service now don't get me wrong there are there, there are Avermore clients that are unhappy with how we how they felt they've been treated but that will almost exclusively be a consequence of their own conduct and their inability to do what uh, to do what they were asked to do. Outside of that, you know, our reputation sits at the top, it sits right at the top of the industry. And it's why mm-hmm. we've been able to attract top talent, such as Dimitri. Um, to, you know, we, we have a new chairman in, in Eric, you know, who was, you know, who, who was the CEO of a, you know, a, a serious financial international financial institution we're not doing that if the, if the business hasn't created a reputation as being high level of having a high level of professionalism and and the same goes for our funders the reasons our funders probably trust us as much as anyone else in the UK market is because you know because we have an attitude that we 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 we, we can never lose money we must never lose money and that's a function of being very very professional and taking taking everything that we do as seriously as possible um so yeah that that i i would say that um that that would be a very large component of as to how we've set ourselves apart from the rest of the industry
1: no definitely very well said as well um what type of leader are you
0: yeah it's that's an interesting one actually i would say i am Um, I like to delegate, but I get into the detail when I need to. But Mm -hmm. as well as, but I'll never ask someone to do something generally that I can't do myself as well. And so, Mm -hmm. whenever we've had, I mean, I give a good sales example when during COVID, when there wasn't, you know, products, you know, there wasn't a lot of demand for, for products for a few months. And let's, and frankly, the product that we had wasn't. That we had available wasn't all that great either, I and mean, obviously thankfully that reversed itself very quickly. And during that time, we we set the the RMs, our sales team, the task of picking up the phone and and calling lots of brokers that they never spoken to before. And you know a couple of the, you know and and two of those three brokers are no longer with the firm. And you know and there was a lot of resistance. They're like, why? What's the point of calling them? We don't have a product to sell. And I said, and we said, look, it doesn't matter. You're, no one has anything to sell right now. And if, if every, you know, everyone's not that busy, you will get the time of day from them, That they will be open to building a new relationship with you because the world has changed and they have got the bandwidth to actually have that conversation with you in the way that they wouldn't have done three months prior. In February 2020, that, that broker or that individual is not, is, hasn't got the time for you in the way he does now she um, and and so there was there was the resistance from them they, they were like nope that's not our style you know we're, we're you know we ha- we work off a small number of relationships said so, look we didn't furlough you you know you're you're, you're you're earning full pay and you know you're still technically fully employed but if okay fine all right i'm what i'm going to do is this because I because I don't have enough things to do today, which is sarcasm, by the way, but, you know, in, in the in the 20, 20 different areas of the business, you know, the wagon wheel that I need to cover right now, I'm gonna carve out three hours a day and make these outbound phone calls to people that I've never spoken to before, all right? And, and I went and did it, and because I did it, I led from the front. Now, as my coach Lloyd said, I talked to my coach Lloyd about it at the time, and he said, look, this is a time you need to lead from the front you can't lead from the front all the time because actually leading from the front is disempowering for, for for your actual team but sometimes you need to lead from the front for a period of time to show people how to how to do things because if you if you if you're the you know if you think of yourself in the trenches in the first world war if you're you know if you've got you're not general melchit uh you know sat in the uh you know sat 30 kilometers behind the front lines um oh. You're you're in the trenches and you're you're the first one up the ladder to go over the top if you're if you if you're able to do that um, You'll find I, I found that people are more willing and more likely to follow me Um, but as I said it's not something you should be doing all the time you do that for a period of time show people the way and then you say right okay, now I trust you and that's where the delegation um comes into it and so to be a good delegator to which is to put a lot of trust into your into your team to be able to trust your team um you have to have good people to start with so my leadership style probably doesn't work as well with people who are less capable if that makes sense
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it because the person who's less capable is someone that's going to need micromanaging and spoon feeding and that doesn't come naturally to me um, mm. and it doesn't come naturally to Zahair. I, mean, I think our, our management styles are not identical but we have a lot of similar similar traits and I think what the key amongst them is you, you know if I was to think of myself as a football manager my man management style is very much akin to Arsene Benga. Arsene Benga when he came into English football he he treated his players like adults and mm. he left them to make their make make their own to sort of make, make their own choices, make their own decisions for for the most part. And but in doing so, that that works when you have intelligent players. If you have intelligent, capable, and talented people in an organization, you can adopt that that sort of light touch management style. If you don't have that level of talent you have to be much more prescriptive about what about what those people do but also they, you'll find that they and one of the reasons why if you look at the management team that we have within Avonmore you know we have Phil who came in in his late 20s and is now the number two number two operational person in the business you know he he's been an, he's been allowed to rise through the ranks but uh, and and has, has seen very fast growth Sabinda obviously now sits on the board of the company effectively came to us not far off being a grad, had a little hiatus um, when she worked at um, actually Silicon Valley Bank of all places and then came and joined us five years ago essentially doing your role and now she's on the board of the company. That that happens because a we put our trust and our faith in our, in the team to, to go beyond their job titles and um, and and show us what they're capable of, but they'll never get that opportunity, or they'll never grasp that opportunity if they don't have the ambition and mm-hmm. the ability to go that go to that uh, go to that degree. So yeah, so it, in, in summary, just you know, to to cut the long story short, it's delegating and delegating with a strong dose of faith because I hire or we hire very capable, intelligent people in the business, um, and you obviously you're a good example of that. And then but but when but when things get tricky or things get sticky because we pride ourselves as leaders to be able to do everything within the company ourselves if we need to we'll we will go over we'll we'll be the the first on the ladder to go over the top and the trenches as well so that people can see that we're not it's not like we're sat hiding hiding from the hiding from the fight
1: no Definitely. In my experience having come from previous businesses as well, where that tends to be in my experience, how leaders are, it's it makes a vast difference coming into a business where you do allow people to sort of grow within themselves and put that faith within people, definitely. Yeah. Okay. Next up we've got can you recall a time where you failed but you learned something profound in the process? Uh
0: yeah, I mean I I mean I, I think I already talked about it, but the, the consultancy business, um, that, that came before Avermore, and um, the, the list of failures is long and indistinguished, if you know what I mean. Um, just made so many mistakes. I mean, the thing is, it's really, it's really hard to, it's really hard to like pinpoint one particular thing, but I think that when you're in a business that's struggling, or that's failing, and I wouldn't describe that business as an abject, a total failure, but I, I guess in commercial, t- if I was to compare it to Avonmore in commercial terms, yes, it's, it, it was a failure by comparison. Um, uh, one would argue that maybe you could make it go, it could have, it, it could have been a success given enough time and money, but frankly, you, you also have to assess opportunity cost in that circumstance. So, The thing for me that is absolutely crucial is, and and is the key distinguishing feature between Avermore and and what was KDL, was the consultancy business, is that within Avermore, we never approach anything with a degree of desperation, or we certainly try not to. I think that, and this comes back to what I was talking about earlier, where when you have sales, when you have revenue, that, that puts you, that gives you choices when you don't have sales um when you don't have revenue you what what starts to happen is you start to become increasingly desperate now Mm. it might not appear outwardly so desperate but but the 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 thing about the the thing about desperation is is that it's a very unattractive quality in uh, in any in any aspect aspect of life if someone is desperate um that you know it, it if you think in in your personal relationships if if, if someone was ever chasing after you it kind of it, almost with a degree of desperation it's a bit of a turn off it's not very attractive quality in a you know in a partner um on a human level and and on a business level it's the same and and consequently i think that we've one of the strengths about avermore is that because we're not grow at all costs but, and because we're not all grow at all costs, we'll draw the line. And so we don't have you know, we we don't we, we don't approach situations with a, an air or degree of desperation. We'll say this is this is our offer. This is our price. We can't do any more than that. And. In the few instances where we've probably foregone off our, our principles. In where was one particular deal which happened in the earlier stages, which nearly got us into trouble, but in the end worked itself out because we lent money to a not particularly nice dodgy guy who it turns out had lost part of a finger after owing some money to the New York mafia. Yeah. Yeah, I know, crazy, right? Um but you know, that that was a period of desperation. And if you if we think about the amount of revenue that we, we got, we generated from doing that deal, as opposed to if we just not done it, um, yeah. you know, for the money that we made for it, from it compared with the hassle that the deal gave us, um, it wasn't, it wasn't worth it. And so, yeah, so I guess, I, I guess the, so that the key difference there is though, that we learned from, we learned from that mistake and, and to, it's better to it's better to walk away and not do a deal than be desperate and and find yourself doing a deal that you shouldn't have done. Yeah. But also, from a mindset perspective, if if you find just find that you're starting to get desperate or there's desperation creeping into how you approach business or a business situation, you can't. I just think you. you you're, you're halfway to, you know, you're halfway to the end, if mm. that if that kind of mindset's crept in, and and that was probably the biggest learning from, um you know, from that time.
1: Wow, I can imagine. I to the New York Mafia. I didn't even know that there was a real thing.
0: Yeah, it is a real thing. <laughs> Gosh. It's, so when he, whenever you met him, he he would always keep that hand in his pocket.
1: Oh.
0: He, he, when it, he didn't, he didn't, was it like
1: he, the whole finger?
0: I I think it was his pinky, and I think it was like down to about here. Oh my gosh! So uh, yeah, like kind of down to the, like the first knuckle on your on his pinky that they cut they cut his finger off. And by the what? way, this this guy when he borrowed from us, he was like the same age as my mum is now. He's like mid seventies, um, as well. And he he comes across as sort of Irish guy, you know, he's sort of like but not you know sort of benign grandpa, um, yeah. and. Yeah, it, t- it turns out he was that. That was uh, definitely a misconception on our part. He was You're definitely great. not, uh, definitely not a benign grandpa. All
1: right. Well, I'll bear that in mind. Every time I'm going to walk past some older people now and just be aware if it have <laughs> in <their> pockets. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay. So next we've got: What impact do you see tech having in the real estate industry? I mean, you kind of touched on it a bit earlier, but. Um, in terms of the real estate industry, how much do you see it, see it having an impact?
0: Well, look, tech tech is having an impact on the real estate industry, as, and ha- has been having an impact on the real estate industry for decades. But um, I think sometimes we forget that it's tech, Re- you know, that it's prop tech. You know, the best example is Rightmove. Okay, mm. it, it, imagine um, imagine imagine life before Rightmove as a as a house hunter or a flat hunter. Um, oh, gosh. You know, it's it, it, exactly right. You've got to go. Imagine if, imagine, imagine house hunting or, or flat hunting before the internet, right? You moved from, you've moved from the Midlands to London, right? Mm-hmm. That move. Imagine how difficult that move would would have been 30 years ago before the internet. impossible, impossible, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. So,
0: so you can be in, uh, whereas Nottinghamshire, where where you're from, right? Mm-hmm. Before you moved to London. You, you know now you, you go and right move you, you find an area that you're interested in in london and you go right okay cool and then you register with a, a few agents or just sign up through right move you know and before you know it you've got eight viewings lined up you, you to do that 30 years ago you'd have to get on the tra- take a day off work get on the train go and sign go and sign up manually with however many lettings agencies and then when you even if you're successful enough to actually get that the flat you're probably still getting phone calls from estate agents months after you've moved in saying oh if this flat's come up will you be interested whereas all you need to do is pr- click a button on Rightmove and and that doesn't happen so yeah so i think in many ways tech has already transformed the real estate industry in other ways it has so many more it has so much further to go um clearly in the mortgage industry i mean development finance industry there is still plenty of scope for development of products which reduce the friction in the process and and i think really it's it's down to how do we reduce friction in these pro in these processes um there's there's a lot of there's still a lot of opportunity and there's still a lot of impact but um but i'd also turn it around in a different way so we could put find ourselves in a situation that in I don't know, five years time, you could literally buy a house with a click of a button, right? You can have your, you get your mortgage agreed in principle, literally, in a minute, instantaneous. I mean, because all the information that a lender needs, it's now you can upload it, it's it's not that difficult. Um, Mm. And so for them to make a decision on you as as a particular risk can be done very quickly now already. The second aspect is the underwrite of the property. Now, for a standard residential property purchase, um, access to land registry is pretty much there. Everything you need is there. Um, the one thing that's limiting is the searches. So you have to get a, the range of searches for, for, for a residential mortgage or any type of mortgage, frankly. The pr- the, the delays on getting those those searches is ridiculously long. In the context of this, the information relating to that property should be immediately available. So let's let's fast forward five years, and everything about a property is is essentially on a decentralized server, like a blockchain server, for example. So, um, essentially, you say you go and visit a property, you want to buy it, and all the all the conveyancing information your your conveyancing solicitor needs. Um, is sitting on the blockchain. Now, conveyancing solicitor, they can they'll either do it ma- they'll do it manually first, but in time, that will be able to be done kind of robotically as well. So, you could easily have a situation where the the lending process, the mortgage process, can happen like that. The conveyancing process can happen like that, and so then you should be able to move house almost at the click of a button as soon as you've gone and viewed it you agreed the price with the vendor mm. should be able to move in straight away but of course that's the process side of it the process of it, side of it can go very fast but then there's the life side of it and mm. let's let's be frank no one wants to move home tomorrow no one wants to move the next day generally speaking if you're if you're if you're moving house you need at least three or four weeks probably. I think one of the reasons why it takes three months to move house, because I think people don't necessarily want to move that quickly. You know, it takes takes time to go, you know, people need that emotional processing time. So the potential for tech to have on the real estate industry is massive. We've already seen it, but at the same time, you've still got a human component to it and that human emotional component to it. And so that will, that I think will always be the you know in the end that will end up being the regulating factor, not um, you know not the not the lack not not the lack of technology.
1: See how far your coding goes as well. I mean, after a hundred days in five years' time, you could be producing all sorts of stuff.
0: Uh, you, you you'll have to test me out, George. You have to give give me some tasks and and see what see what we can do, see what we can come up with.
1: Actually we'll do that. I'll send you random things.
0: Send me the, send me some random things and we'll have some fun with it, yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Um what does a sustainable future look like in the real estate industry?
0: Well, really difficult question. Yeah. Uh really it's difficult broad one. question. It's so broad, so broad. And um, the you know, I, I'm all, I'm always a little bit wary about greenwashing. Um I so so I tr I, I approach that side of it with a side of it with a degree of scepticism. Um I would say that it, it's it's going to be a process. We whether you believe in climate change or not, mm-hmm. right, and I understand the I un, I understand some of the points that the people are skeptical about it make. But at the end of the day, do you you know do you want to do you want to be burning things that put clearly dirty smoke and gases into the air um, i get that there's a lim- there's a minimum that there, there, there there's a minimum amount that has to happen otherwise we we're going to end up going back to a kind of agrarian economy right so we we the genie's kind of out of the bottle it's just you know how how, how thin can we make the neck of the bottle the, but but there's another side to it, which is it's just border, borders around waste and okay. being wasteful. It's how efficiently can you reuse materials from for, from previous buildings? How efficiency? How efficiently are you using your existing buildings? So, for example, Canon Place, where um, Ava was headquartered, um, uses uh, has in the men's urinals. I'm guessing you haven't been in there Georgia for obvious reasons um Not yet <laughs> they they have they have uh they they have urinals that that don't flush they have a particular and so that saves a lot of water which saves lots of energy um we often forget uh, I think it's often forgotten actually that um treating water to make it drinkable and um, requires a huge amount of energy to do that and so the the lesser that we need to use the better if you can take rainwater off the roofs of existing of, of existing buildings and then use that for flushing toilets I'm not saying you need to use it for drinking um because I think there'll always people always will want some sort of kind of sanitation around things that they put into their body but in terms of maybe for washing for what goes into your washing machine what goes into your you know, flushing your toilets, for example, you can mm-hmm. use water from that. Um, it's how energy efficiently can your building be used? Now, there's there's some question marks around ground and air source heat pumps, but you know one thing you can't question is solar, right? If you and I think particularly with the cost of energy being what it has been over the last you know since the prices have been increasing aggressively over the last eighteen months. I think people have, have been much more mindful about how much energy they use, and also things like insulation. And you know, so have you got good in, loft insulation? You know, take taking your we we talk a lot about landlords improving the EPC ratings of their of their homes, but uh, of the homes that they rent out, but it's also their own main residences of you, of your own personal main residence. For a relatively small insulation uh, investment into loft insulation, how much will that save you over a ten-year period in the cost of energy? How much energy will you, will you how much less energy will you use? You know, same goes for if you've got uh, solar panels and you've got an electric car and you use the solar panels to to charge your car. Now I get it, right? If you're charging your car off the mains and the, and there's no wind blowing and there's no sun, um, you might be using you might be using an, an unsustainable source of electricity. But if that's coming off off the solar panels on your on your garage then that's that's a sustainable future so it's there's no there's no big answer there's lots of incremental things that we can do and whether you you, and and regardless of whether you believe in climate change or not you know being efficient is is good business Mm. and and that's that's the perspective i come from and and if it has the side benefit of being beneficial to the long-term health of the planet then so much the better. Uh, thanks to Georgia. Um, thanks to Laura Wood uh, for uh, booking the guests. In this case, she only had to book me. Uh, so that made her, 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 life, her life a bit easier. And, and as always, thanks to Avonwall Capital for their support. Um, so thanks to you all for, for listening. Um, as ever, like, subscribe, and we'll talk to you again on the next one. big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the property funder podcast Avonmore capital a property bridging and development lender located here in london they as much as me understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are lending on projects from just 250000 pounds across the entirety of england and wales their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme even if you just have one brick down visit www. AvermoreCapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey thanks so much for tuning into this podcast i hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today catch us in the next episode for another interesting story